You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight I have an array of guests covering some fairly diverse topics that I hope you're going to enjoy. First up, I'll be talking to Sinead Neyland from the Organic College about what we can be planting out at this time of the year. Helen Lyons will be on the phone to tell us about the new Irish Cafe Quality Food and Drinks Awards. Nourished by Nature's Sid Sheehan will be talking about the transition from chef to nutritionist and sharing a health healthy mouth-watering recipe. And finally, Rebecca Cronin, Festival Manager of the Kerrygold Ballymaloo Lit Fest that is on this weekend in County Cork, will be highlighting some of the events on what can only be described as a very exciting programme. To get in touch with me here on the show, feel free to drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So let's move on with the show and welcome Sinead Neyland from the Organic College in County Limerick and get growing. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sinead, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thank you, Sharon. Now, one of the questions I've been asked to ask you this week is the way the weather is so erratic at the moment. We've sun one minute, we've rain the next, hailstones, maybe a bit of frost. Is that playing havoc with all the growing that people are trying to do? Um, it probably it is, I suppose you could say, you know, difficult enough. But what happened is when we had that blast of warm weather that was totally unseasonal, people got carried away and started, you know, sowing seeds and putting things out. And, you know, it was still only early April, middle of April, which is not the time you would normally put things out. So I think that people now are kind of going, oh no, what's happening? But they actually, you know, at normally at early May is is still very early in the gardening season. So it's, this is more typical of the weather we should have rather than what we had with where everybody was going around in shorts there for about two weeks, you know. Um, we we very often get quite late frosts. I remember frosts right at this time, well into the first, of May, first week of May, second week of May, that actually kill back a lot of things, burnt them totally a few years ago. So, you know, it's not unusual to have bad weather at this time of year. Um, that said, even though the bit of frost we've had over the last week or a few weeks, I haven't seen much damage on a lot of the veg crops. Now, we did in the college cover the potatoes because we had potatoes planted first earlies from March and they were well up above the ground now. And potatoes are actually a very soft plant, even though people think they're a big, tough, hardy plant. So we actually clashed them with um netting and fleece and various things just to protect against the frost but other than that we haven't had any damage now some flowers and you know flowering plants maybe bedding plants that people had brought on that were out did get a bit burnt with the frost but again it was just probably a little bit early for them to be out anyway so, so your advice is every year, don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah, people get very carried away. You know, if Easter is fine, they're out. If the May Bank holiday is fine, they're tearing into the garden. And you still have to realise, you know, we're still, it's still early. Particularly here, you know, in West Limerick, it's quite early in the garden season. And so take your time, basically. OK, the next question then is to do with these lettuces that are cut and come that you've mentioned before because the Ballymaloo Lit Fest is on this weekend. I'll be talking to Rebecca Cronin, the festival manager, later on in the programme and there will be lots of things to buy there. And one of the things that I bought last year was different lettuces that were cut and come lettuces. But I found that there was something grew on the leaves of them after a while that the leaves weren't very smooth were they infected with something um they could have the most likely thing that they'd get um lettuces like that were probably some sort of an aphid did you have them inside or outside they were outside yeah um because the one thing with salads that they are prone to is you know green fly things like that and of course slugs will, will like them as well um but they can get kind of various flies that will affect the leaf, you know, make it sticky, make it, you know, it's, it's kind of an, an exude that they have. But the, the thing with the cut and come is that you really do need to cut them. Unless you're harvesting them, they won't grow back. You know, the leaf will get very big and kind of die off and um, become a bit tasteless. So you do really need to keep harvesting off them. 
whenever you say you need to keep harvesting off them, how frequently do you need to do that? Well, I suppose you'd be picking them every week, the larger leaves you'd harvest from with those cut and come lettuces. I usually harvest from the outside. So you can see, if you look at them, you can see where the new growth is, is is from the centre, new leaves coming up. So the older leaves are at the outside. So they're the ones that you harvest off. And sometimes people will come to harvest them and they'll say, oh, those outer leaves don't look so great. So they harvest the inner ones. But you should remove them, even if you don't think they're good enough to eat, take them off and get rid of them because they're taken from the energy of the plant and you want constantly new growth, new fresh growth, not old kind of gone off, bitter type leaves. So that's the best way to keep them going. The other thing is if you don't keep picking them, they will go on into flowering mode and then you've lost the plant altogether. So... So a pair of garden scissors then and go around the outside, not be taking the head off them and, no. and well, hoping you, that... Or well, you can. With a lot of the cut and comb, you can actually cut them right down to the butt and then they will come up again. But mostly if you're picking, if you have lettuces, you know, salads, you'd be picking various bits. So I'd be just picking off certain leaves and leave the, leave the centre ones come on and then keep picking more and the centre ones coming on. And if they do get infected with green fly or something like that, is that it? It's finished? You can't do no, anything No, you could. Um, well, what you could do is cut it down and let new growth come again, which would be without it. But you want to be watching out for where the green fly is um, and to kind of try and get rid of it, I suppose, really. The, you get green fly a lot if they're kind of too close together if there's not much air you know in a tunnel situation whereas outside if there are plenty of air and they're not all squashed on top of each other you're less likely to get green fly effect so keep them well spread apart and should you cover them with anything like a netting or anything like that you don't really need it you know they're fairly hardy like salads are hardy enough and they should be fine outside even now we've because we have a lot of transplants um trays of transplants that we sell and they're all out hardened off sitting out for the last few weeks and none of them have been damaged by frost or anything so they're tough enough plants and at the end of the season then can you can they come back next year no No. they're annuals Uh, towards the end of the season they'll start to produce a flowering shoot and go to seed that's That's what they do yeah there's nothing you can do with those then okay and then the next question is about herb gardens because it's great to have a herb garden and to be able to go out and pick your bay leaves, your chives, your parsley or whatever. But I believe you have to be very careful with mint because mint can get a bit wild. Mint um, is a bit rampant. Yeah, it's a bit of a thug in the garden. It, it kind of spreads by underground kind of runners. So it'll keep coming up and it will totally, if you put mint into your herb garden, after a few years you'll have nothing but mint because it just takes over. It's best grown in a container, a pot of some kind. And the thing with herbs is that most of them grow very happily in containers. So if you, you know, if you'd like a herb garden, you might have might make it a container garden and have several different containers or pots, window boxes that have your herbs in it, you know, and keep it going like that. And then, well, things like mint won't, you know, won't spread too much. It also means that some of the herbs um, might die back for the winter. And if it's in a container, you can just put it to one side and then, you know, have something else there in your garden or just move them around. But I mean, they grow perfectly well outside as well in the ground. They don't just have to be in containers. And do they operate on the same principle as the salads there, that you need to be harvesting those or they go to, like the chives, for yeah. example, I'd often see a few flowers on the well, chives. Well, the chives will go to flower anyway. I wouldn't mind that because the thing is when you're picking at home, you can see the flower shoot and you just pick the other leaves. It doesn't have any effect on the growth of the plant and it will continue. It will flower and then the flowers will finish and the chives will continue. It has no effect and chives go on for years and years and the clump gets bigger and bigger. But with some things like basil, for instance, you don't want it to go to flower because as soon as it goes to flower, the leaves get tiny. All the energy goes into the flower and seed and you've lost your crop because with basil, it is the big fat leaf, which is what you're looking for. So you don't want them to go to flower. Um, And even with things like thyme and that, you probably don't want them to go to flower too much. But, you know, in a pot when you're picking, going to flower and then you'll cut the flowers off, the plant continues. It's not finished It's things like basil and dill, coriander that are annuals. As soon as they go to flower, they're gone. That's the end of them. So you don't want them to go to flower. I find basil quite challenging. It can be great and then all of a sudden it just goes like that. Basil is pernickety. It doesn't like the cold. It doesn't like the wet. It doesn't like drafts. You know, it has to have so much care. It really is best grown inside. You know, we'd always grow it in a polytunnel. And if you were growing it at home, you'd probably be ha- have it on a windowsill or something, unless you had a really sunny, sheltered spot outside. 
um, it's just a funny one it's, it's, it's quite soft um, and then of course it can go to flower quite easily and it is a mega mecca for things like green fly which really attack it. So you really have to be careful with it. How funny, green fly is not a problem I've ever had with it, but certainly now it, you know, you know, I was bought one a number of years ago and it just seemed to thrive on the windowsill in the kitchen and it was fantastic. But I've had numerous basil pots since then in the same spot and that hasn't been the hasn't case been unfortunately the case. yeah yeah the, it is and what i find is people get very excited and they buy basil very early in the season and then they kill it and then they're back for another one you know so it's just one of those plants that seems to be kind of funny but it usually if you've a nice sunny warm spot and not overwater it but make sure it has enough water little and often It'll be quite happy. And if I had, if I brought one of those basil plants home from the supermarket or the greengrocers tomorrow and I needed to use most of it and I've cut it down quite far, is it going to come back With basil, no. It doesn't grow that way. It grows from, normally when you'd have a basil, if we plant it out, you let it get to a certain size and then you pinch out the tips all the tips so that it it puts on it becomes bushy it puts on loads of side shoots but if you actually cut it down to bare kind of stems that's all you're going to be left with it doesn't come back at that you do need to be careful with some of those herbs you buy in supermarkets they're they're growing but the idea is that you just take them home and you use them and you get rid of the plant they're not really they're not produced in such a way as that the plant will grow on and you'll have it going for ages, you know. So some of them, they really are kind of just forced on and the idea is that it's growing, but you take it home and you probably use it within a week, you know. That's very interesting because I would imagine a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're, they, they're not good plants, you know, whereas a plant you'd buy in like a garden centre or someplace, they're, they're grown to be grown on. They're not grown just for, you know, quick use. But basil, if you look at the way the plant grows, you can see where the basil has a, a leaf, then you can see a little in the axle of the leaf stem you can see another little piece of growth coming on that's how it grows and it gets bushy from the side so when you pinch out the tips of something it allows those side shoots to come on so with basil because what you're harvesting from it is the leaf you want it to be a big bushy plant with lots of leaf rather than a big tall lanky thing that isn't hasn't as many leaves so by pinching out the tips you get that bushiness and lots and lots more leaves and more growth so is it probably better to grow it yourself from seed um, well, you can grow it from seed, but you know, if you only want one basil plant for the summer, it's easier just to buy a plant. Okay. You know, is that something that you do out at the college? Yeah, we do a lot of herbs, potted herbs, um, various ones that we grow. Some from seed, some from propagated from cuttings, etc. Um, and we'd have quite a range of herbs for sale. Yeah. So that would be a great place to grow, to go to buy them then, because when you're buying it, I could say to you, okay, show me how to be picking the leaves oh yeah yeah and show and we'll show you how to pinch out the tips and you have a market every week or you're at the market in Drumcollar we have a stall in the square in Drumcollar on a Friday and we sell from the uh, we have the shop of glass in the college small shop where we sell all the produce and at the moment now we'd have potted herbs we have veg transplants various a whole collection of various different vegetables in trays and you know all sorts of plants like that also some flowering plants um, as well so they're all for sale from the students and what are the opening hours of the shop well it's kind of mostly when we're there we're there till about half three Monday to Friday so there's always someone around the shop at that stage that will you know open it up and get you whatever you want okay great well worth a visit there thank you so much for um, coming in this evening oh yeah and can I just mention that on um, Tuesday the 19th I think is the date Uh, we have just in the afternoon we have an information session in the afternoon on the courses that we run if anyone was interested in doing a course they can come along on that afternoon we'll give information on the courses you can chat to the staff and the students and there'll be tours of the gardens etc so and if people want to find out more about the opening hours of the shop and the college and the courses it's organiccollege.com is the website that's it Sinead thanks a million for coming in and we shall see you soon okay thank you Sharon Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter.
Thanks to Sinead. And if you have a question for Sinead, you can send it to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and we'll put it to her on her next visit to the studio. Still to come tonight, Nourished by Nature's Sid Sheehan will be talking about the transition from chef to nutritionist and sharing a healthy mouth-watering recipe with us. And Rebecca Cronin, Festival Manager of the Kerrygold Ballymaloo Lit Fest that is on this weekend will be highlighting some of the events on this year's programme. Now, my next guest has appeared on The Exchange with me here on West Limerick 102 FM a few years ago to talk about the Irish Quality Food and Drink Awards. This year, a new edition has been launched in the form of the first ever Irish Cafe Quality Food and Drink Awards, and I'm delighted to welcome Helen Lyons on the phone to tell me more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen, you're very welcome to the show this evening. The Irish Quality Food and Drink Awards set out to recognise excellence in food product development by companies across Ireland and the Irish Cafe Quality Food and Drink Awards are a new addition. What do they involve? Uh, they set out with exactly the same purpose, Sharon, but the food and drink is available in coffee shops in Ireland and we know that the coffee shops sector in Ireland is positively booming. Whenever you say it's the Irish Cafe Quality Food and Drink Awards, yeah. it's not just it's not just for cafes, is it? It's about suppliers yeah. to cafes. Yes, of course. Of course, yes. So there's a huge um, raft of product innovation in the food to go sector. So producers who are making, let's say, some jams or um, cakes, large cakes, small cakes, teas and coffees, all perfectly invited to enter the Irish Cafe Quality Food Awards. Why did you decide to, to add this to the, the programme? Because the awards are so, so well received. The Irish Quality Food Awards were so well received in the retail sector. But also there was an interest expressed from the food-to-go sector as well. But we wanted to keep the, the two very separate. Do you feel that there could be a bit of overlap there? Potentially, yes, because of course, so many Irish retail outlets, of course, there's coffee shops as well. So in some cases, there will be a natural crossover or a natural synergy indeed. But the Quality Food Awards logo is so well known and respected now in Ireland that winning a queue is a great way to, to show a consumer that it's an excellent, outstanding product. And you have 42 categories, so there's probably going to be something there to suit a lot of people out there. Of course there will, yeah, of course. Explain to us then about once you enter, what is the judging process? Judging process we are um, extremely proud of. And everything that we do with the Quality Food and Drink Awards in Ireland, uh, the credibility and transparency and robustness of the judging process sits at the heart of everything that we do. We as organisers take no vote on any category whatsoever. The awards are judged by Irish food experts. They're judged at an Irish technology, food technology centre there, commercial cooked by a team of Irish home economists and um, judged over a three-week period. Every single product that comes through, without exception, is judged, is, is cooked in exactly in accordance with instructions on pack. So if the manufacturer of the product says we want you to microwave this on the first instruction, that's what we'll do. And every single judge in our room, they'll have expertise in the given category that we're judging. They will then take notes about each of the, the, the um, aspects of the, of the product, um, quality of the product, and all of these notes are then fed back to every entry. It must be very useful for the entrants to get feedback on the on the products that the judges give. Yeah, indeed it does. You know, on, on the good points and the bad points or the not so great points because there might be an amazing product. Let's use an example, an amazing jam. And the ingredients is beautiful, the ingredients declaration is fine, but the photography on pack isn't so strong. So a customer first buys with their eyes. So we might say to an entrant, look, you've got an amazing product, it's great value for money, you've got great um, provenance story, but just let's look at your photography. And when they can go back, review their photography, perhaps change their photography, and that's been a real benefit to them entering the award. It helps them with their product development. And that's one aspect that actually differentiates the quality food and drink awards from the other awards like Great Taste and the Blossom Erin because... They're blind tasting, but you feel that it's actually very important to see the packaging. 
It absolutely is. We we know we we expect our judges to experience every single product that comes through the board as a consumer would, with their eyes first and then their nose and their mouth. Um, so lots of different aspects of every product is taken into consideration. You know, a product's got to taste great first and foremost to win a quality food award. But you know, also other elements like the packaging, like the ingredients declaration, like its value for money. Is it making it? It's meeting its stated aims in the marketplace. So a whole host of different reasons will actually help shape the judging panel's decision. And that is a very important reason for why we are different to other awards out there in Ireland. But similarly, the whole package that we offer to potential entrants, we um, did a, a competition on one of our um, Twitter um, pages the other day. And that we, were get, we were offering to get away some winning products from last year. And in fact, that brand owner generated 1,200 retweets, new followers, and new likes for their product. It's a great way to get PR. There is a fee to enter, but there's a special small producer fee if you've less than 10 staff and less than a million turnover. And there's also some free categories there as well. Entry fee, if you are a smaller artisan producer, is significantly reduced. If you are um, have a business of less than a million euro turnover and less than ten staff, indeed, yes, that's right. And if a producer is, you know, if they don't have a lot of money to be entering a lot of competitions or their marketing budget is restricted, what advice would you give them whenever they're looking at their product range and trying to pick out maybe one or two products to enter? Okay, um, that's that's a really good question because um, we often say to people. Um, don't put in just your brand new product. Put in products that you know perform really, really well for you. It doesn't have to be the newest, most um, exciting product. It can be something that does really well for you. A yogurt. Um, it's got beautiful packaging that uses um, a milk where you, you can state where the milk has come from. So it could be a very simple product, simple things done beautifully well very often impress our panel the greatest. So have a hard look at the sort of things that you're thinking of putting in and give us a call, ask us. We'll always be delighted to help you to um, advise you what sort of products to put in. Don't put in a whole range. Put in just the things that you know you are the most proud of. So people can enter now up until the middle of June. Of June, that's right, yeah. They enter on the website. And the web address is irishcafe.qualityfoodawards.com. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, soon. Take care. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us before the break, Sinead Neyland from County Limerick's Organic College was here with lots of advice on planting some delectables to enjoy in the fine weather. And just before the break, Helen Lyons was on the phone talking about the Irish Cafe Food and Drink Quality Awards. Good luck if you decide to enter that. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all of the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Now, my next guest joins me in the studio. His name is Sid Sheehan and he travelled from Kerry this evening to tell us about his unique cookery school, Nourished by Nature, and he's also going to share a mouth-watering dessert recipe. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Sid, you're very welcome to the studio tonight. Thanks a million, Charlie. Nourished by Nature. Yes. It's Kerry's first combined cookery school and complementary therapy centre. Sounds like a great combination. How did it all come about? Okay, it all came about, Sharon, uh, last year. It's a new business. So I trained as a chef back in 98, 99, I think. Would have worked my way along in restaurants for years. Um, I actually had a great start for four years um, in Aloes and the Stoll. So that was a fantastic opportunity for any kind of commie chef starting out. So you are a trained chef? I am a trained chef, yeah. So I would have worked in the restaurant industry kind of up to 
two or three years ago. And I was always drawn to healthy eating and nutrition and people's kind of dietary choices. So in 2010, then, I decided to take up a career in nutrition. So I went back to college in Cork for three years in CNM, which is the College of Naturopathic Medicine. So I trained there as a nutritional therapist and last year then both my wife Angela and I decided to that it was time to go self-employed. So we opened the cookery school um, and I've got a nutritional therapy clinic and my wife then Angela, she's a reflexologist and a massage therapist as well. Did you find that being a chef gave you a bit of a head start whenever you went to study nutrition? Yeah, absolutely, because I kind of I think it gave me a practical insight into it as to how to implement stuff. Because it's one thing going to a nutritionist or a dietitian or whatever the case may be, and you know getting the recommendations for a new diet, and you're told to go off to the local health food shop and incorporate A, B, and C into your diet. But then to be actually to be able to do cookery classes and show people practical ways of implementing stuff like that. So if, if somebody is going in buying chickpeas or beans or whatever the case may be, something that they've never used before. So to, just to, to show people user-friendly ways of um, incorporating new foods like that into their diet. Are you are you surprised whenever you come across clients at their lack of knowledge in nutrition and how to make nutritious food? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the courses that I do, like I do basic ones for people that are literally starting out that would have been used to just eating out of a takeaway or convenience food. So that would be just showing basic skills. Then we kind of do more dietary specific ones like gluten-free courses and stuff like that. But definitely there's huge room there for people to improve their diet and that's I think kind of where I come in and just show people practical tips and easy kind of budget-friendly as well ways of incorporating the new foods in. What are the most popular courses? Most popular courses at the moment uh, the gluten-free workshops are always a good one because there's so many people at the moment that are being diagnosed whether you're celiac or just a gluten intolerance or somebody that knows themselves that gluten may not agree with them. So gluten-free workshops are always a good one. Um, We usually hold those on Saturdays because they're a little bit longer they go on for about three and a half to four hours. Uh, vegetarian is always a good one um, we did one recently a heart healthy cookery for men men only so that was a really good one and paleo is a really popular one at the moment it's a very trendy diet to follow and that's the kind of hunter gatherer that yeah that would be kind of the, the basic it's the paleolithic diet so it would be the, the original caveman diet so obviously they wouldn't have had any convenience foods, you know, they just ate as they went along, they picked. So if you, a lot of people would kind of follow the 80-20 rule when it comes to the paleo diet. Um, it is very restrictive if you want to go 100%, uh, because you can't have any grains, obviously, so you are very, very limited. I think whenever people look at nutrition that it's very obvious whether physically it can be very obvious that you eat well or you don't eat well like there's signs there your skin your weight and everything but mental health and what you eat there's a relationship there as well. There's a huge relationship with it. Um, I'm actually only recently I did a talk with the, um, it was the Kerry Autism Conference. So I did a talk there and just linking diet and behavioural issues in children. So ADHD, all the way up to autism. So there's a huge link there. Um, do you know, we've always been thrown around these kind of sayings like, you know, a gut feeling or butterflies in your stomach. All these things um, do you know, a lot of illness, obviously, it originates in the gut um, or in the stomach. So there's a massive link there. And at any one time, it's proven that there's more uh, nerve signals and nerve impulses going off in our intestines than there are in our brain at any one time. So it really is classed as our second brain. So if there's any one thing that people should cut out of their diet that they would notice a significant improvement in their mental health, what would it be? I would always kind of go towards... Um, processed foods so you're looking at convenience foods um as a general rule, I say to people, get into the habit of looking at food labelling. Um, if there's a big long list of ingredients there with stuff you've never seen. So as a general rule, again, if you can't pronounce it, then don't put it into your body. You're doing a, a workshop as part of the Listowel Food Fair this year. It's called How Healthy Is Your Relationship With Food? Yes. What does so, that entail? So it's not going to be a cookery workshop. It'll be an informative talk for about an hour. Um, just highlighting and addressing how healthy is our relationship with food. Because I think as a nation in general, where our relationship with food is pretty unhealthy. Now, we are getting better. Um, 
but you know there's there's so many different things to look at you know it's just the choices that we make why do we make certain dietary choices um, and obviously then the impact that they will have on our overall health so comfort eating would be one of the issues. Comfort eating is one of them. Do you know, it was always considered for healthy eating and for weight loss to stay away from fat. And there was never much of an emphasis on sugar. Now, the whole thing has kind of turned around. And obviously, we do need a certain amount of fat. It's the type of fat that we choose to put in. Um, and obviously, again, in moderation. Uh, but sugar is the definitely key at the moment. So I would be encouraging people to stay away from food additives. Um, artificial sweeteners are another big one. So just because it might say no added sugar doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. And this kind of stuff has always been marketed and geared towards kids. So you've got the no, no added sugar soft drinks and dilute squash and stuff like this. You pick up a yogurt and it's got no added sugar. So automatically you think the seed is planted that it's a, a healthy choice. When you look at that label, and if it's, it's something like less than 10 grams of sugar per 100 yes. grams of pro is that correct is that the the rule of thumb if if you're trying to make that change that if something has 20 odd grams of sugar in it but it's only 100 grams in weight forget it put it back yeah i would um then there's a lot of hidden sugars going in as well so it's not just the added sugar into your diet so um, there would be a lot of stuff there and like I said the artificial sweeteners are every bit as harmful if not worse than the actual added sugar going in so I would rather see somebody have a little bit of the real thing um, than loading up on the artificial sweeteners even when it takes something as simple as a can of coke even though I don't really encourage people to drink it anyway but if given the choice I would encourage somebody to drink a can of real coke as opposed to a sugar free one yeah, I'm totally with you on that, to be honest. I, I feel there's a, a real aftertaste with any of those diet Yeah, drinks. absolutely. And the, like, there are chemicals in there. I'm sure people have heard of one of the big ones at the moment is aspartame. And this is a known neurotoxin. So what it does is it fries our, our brain cells and they won't regenerate. So this is what these chemicals, these are completely man-made chemicals and our body recognises them as um, a foreign substance so it doesn't know how to react. You're doing your workshop, How Healthy Is Your Relationship With Food as part of the Listool Food Fair which is the 18th to the 21st of June and people can get details about that workshop yeah. on listoolfoodfair.ie. But before you go, you have a lovely healthy dessert for us. Tell me what it's called. Okay, so this is actually a healthy recipe for dessert even though most people would think that you can't have. So if you are a little bit health conscious or on a weight loss regime, that you can't have dessert. This is a good one. I did it recently for the paleo class. So it's gluten-free, it's dairy-free, it's egg-free, it's sugar-free, so, and surprisingly, it's not flavour-free. Uh, so it's an orange chocolate mousse. Um, again, I'll give you the Facebook details so people can have a look, and we'll have it up on the website as well. But uh, only a handful of ingredients in it. It's dark chocolate, coconut milk, um, some good organic natural honey if you can get your hands on it, a teaspoon of vanilla extract for a little bit of flavour, um, it's coconut oil and grated rind of an orange. Um, you can chop and change it. You can substitute the orange for um, maybe for lemon or something like that, whatever your, your own preference is. But it's really simple. Um, do you want me to go through it? Yes, do, yeah. please, yeah. So you just get your tin of coconut milk, um, shake it, keep it at room temperature rather than in the fridge. If you keep it in the fridge, the fat will settle on top, so you want to be able to shake it and mix it up. So at room temperature, shake it before opening. Uh, measure out, I think it's 180 mils of coconut milk. Um, place the coconut milk and the dark chocolate in a saucepan. Just warm it over low heat, just enough to, to melt the chocolate. Um, just remove that from the heat and set it aside for a few minutes. Then in a food processor, or if you have a little stick blender or something like that, so you get your coconut oil, your honey, your vanilla, your orange into the food processor, pour in the melted chocolate and coconut mixture into it, blitz it on high speed for a minute, just until it's a nice smooth kind of consistency, divide it into little shot glasses, because you won't need a huge, you won't sit down and eat a, a big glass of this, like a, a wine glass full of it. It's quite rich, isn't it? It is really, really rich. Um, and you won't get that horrible full feeling after eating it either. So divide it out into your glasses or whatever you want to serve it in and pop it in the fridge for two hours and that's it. So that is pretty much guilt-free eating and it is a really, really tasty dessert. And how many shot glasses will that do? I think uh, the quantities, um, this recipe will make about six shot glasses. 
Okay, that sounds lovely. So, so it is, yes, yeah, you'll have to give it a try. I'd be interested in trying that. So be sure to put the details up on your Facebook page and your website, which is yes. nourishedbynature.ie. And if you send them on to me, I'll I can tweet them yeah. and put them up on my own Facebook. And page. The face, our Facebook page is Nourished by Nature Listold. Fantastic, Sid. Thanks for coming in, and we look forward to seeing you at the Listold Food Fair. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Sid Sheehan from Nourished by Nature about healthy eating and thanks again to Sid for sharing that wonderful dessert recipe. It sounds really yummy and it's healthy, so what a bonus. Now we're heading back over to the phone to talk to my next guest. Rebecca Cronin is Festival Manager of the Kerrygold Ballymaloo Lit Fest which is on for the third year this weekend in County Cork. Hard to believe it's the third year as it's such a hugely popular occasion on the food calendar. So let's find out a bit more about what we can expect if we're heading that direction this weekend. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rebecca, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Only a few days to go now, so I'm sure some of the events are booked out. But what events have proven to be the most popular this year? Hello again, Sharon. Thanks once again for inviting me on your show. I feel like this is my, um, basically, I do this every year with you, so it's uh, it's me getting ready for the final week leading into the festival weekend. It's a tradition at this stage. It is, and it's a great <laughs> tradition that I hope we will uphold for the coming years. Well, it's lovely to chat to you always. Yeah, so this is our third year now, and we are delighted and so excited about the, the weekend that's coming up. Everything's um, a hype of buzz going on now in the office here, Litfest HQ as I like to call it. Things like the volunteer t-shirts arrive and that's always exciting because you know everybody loves a new t-shirt. And this year they're so beautiful that everybody's going to want want to bring home with them. I can't wait to see it. Mm. So yeah, this weekend again we have an amazing amount of events taking place. Obviously the main programme which is what all the um, cookery demonstrations and and the walks and forages and panel discussions and um, debates and wine and drinks tastings, they'll be happening. So that's taking place. But also I can talk a little bit later about what we've got planned in the Fringe programme too. That has exploded and there's so much going on that actually there's not a dull moment or a minute outside the main programme or in the Fringe that there won't be anything happening. Give me an example of a few events that have proven to be very popular. What sold out very early on? Well, again, as the last previous two years, we've um, the the pop up um, dinner has sold out within a matter of minutes, and again, that happened this year. So this year, I mentioned we had Ox Belfast from Belfast coming down to do a pop up dinner with Stephen Toman and Alan Kerlock, and. Um, it, it did. It sold out within a minute or two. So that's fairly exciting. And we've been checking out what they're going to be doing on the menu and like finding out what wines they're going to be serving. And then the coffee as well. Every single detail, every inch to which glass and which knife and fork they'll be using. It's just so beautiful. It's such a perfectionist and so much thought and creativity has gone into the menu. So that's pretty exciting for those who can attend. And then other events that have sold out fairly quickly were the... Um, the cocktails, the foraging with Nick Strangeway and Ushin Davis. Ushin is Irish-based, but Nick Strangeway is a world-renowned cocktail mixologist who travels all over um, and is based between, I think, London and and Denmark. Actually, he spends quite a bit of time. But as you know, as I say, he's all over the place. Um, other events that have sold out very quickly, I suppose, a, a couple of the. Um, Smaller events in the drawing room, so the Avoca story with Hugo Arnold and Laylee Hayes. A lot of people are interested to hear how Avoca began and where it came from, all the cafes. Um, David Tannis is another one that sold out. He's been here for, this is his third year coming to the festival. And he is just such a gentleman and just such an interesting, beautiful writer that people booked out his events straight away as well. So that's a beautiful um, one that a very small group are going to get to go to. And both the lunches, of course, with um, Mark Hicks, who's doing a lunch on the Sunday, he he sold out. He's going to be using his favourite Irish ingredients. He's a prolific British cook, and he has an amazing number of restaurants in London. And 
in fact, a cookery school as well um, in the south of England. But his event on Sunday was very popular and quick to go. And then the other lunch, which is on Saturday, is with Sarat and Itamar. They're from the restaurant Honey & Co. in London. And it's a fairly tiny restaurant. I haven't been myself yet, which um, I, I will get to once I'm in London again. But I managed to go to a festival in Wales last summer. And they were doing a cookery demonstration. And I was tasting the tiniest tiniest morsel of what they were cooking as were the rest of the people in the audience and oh my goodness their food is outstanding but if um just if people don't get to go to their lunch they're actually doing a cookery demonstration for the school on the 6th of june which i know is going to sell out very quickly as soon as they as people meet this really lovable duo they're both of them they're fantastic the two of them really enjoyable to to hang out with and as i say their food is outstanding you mentioned David Tannis there. Yeah. And he he used to work at Chez Panisse, is that correct? Yeah, we have a bit of a, a Chez Panisse theme going on. Yes, I year. noticed that <laughs> now. So um, we are, you know, we're absolutely honoured that Alice Waters will be joining us. And as part of that, we it just so happens that we have got um, a few people that have gone through and worked with Alice Waters in Chez Panisse in California over the years. Um, as we as we know, Alice, um, she began this restaurant in California in Chez Panisse many years ago, I think maybe 35 years ago at this stage, that's off the top of my head. But she's also the founder of the Edible Schoolyard Project, which is she's been working on for many years now and it's taking, you know, taking America by storm and people are really engaging with it in schools and, you know, Michelle Obama, to name one, has come on board on the same the same wavelength as education for children in food education specifically starts off in the school, in the schoolyard, and it's it's incredible. But um, the the Shapenese theme that's going on. So we have Alice Waters, obviously the the owner and founder of Shapenese, but David Tanis, who I said he's come here now for the last three years, and we love him to bits, and we're looking forward to his reading. But he will be joining. Um, a panel along with Alice with April Bloomfield and David Leibovitz in conversation with Nicholas Lander who's uh, who's the journalist for the Financial Times um, April and David Leibovitz April Bloomfield they both have also done a stint as I call it in Chez Panisse over the years so they're all coming together to share the stage to talk about the Chez Panisse story with Alice um, April has she's originally from the UK but Following um, leaving Chapney, she worked in a number of other restaurants and then um, opened up her own place. And probably the most famous, she's opened up a couple of places, but um, the most famous or well-known is the Spotted Pig in New York. And I managed to get to the Spotted Pig this time when I was over there. And oh my goodness, it's just so cool and funky and full of hip people. And the food is just excellent. It's brilliant. So she'll she'll be coming and she's actually doing a cookery demonstration as well with all that, the recipes that would be in her books. Um, um, a Girl in Her Greens is one that actually hasn't officially come out yet, but we've managed to get a few um, books, our hands on a few books that we'll be able to sell here on the Lipfast weekend. Because you usually have a book shared, don't you? We do as part of our many sheds on the farm. We utilise, we spruce up and try to to make into a beautiful space um, we'll be using one of the other smaller sheds for the Litfest bookshop this year again Now last year Noma was kind of a headline act if you like for the yeah. pop-up and this year one of his former chefs who has a restaurant called Relay is it? He has He has a number of restaurants but Relay is his, his oldest one and would be well, he'd be most well known for Relay, and his book that he's recently published is called Relay. Um, in fact, it's sitting on my desk right in front of me. It's called Relay, a book of ideas. And between the design and the plates and the pictures and the recipes, it's an absolutely stunning book. It's just, it's just a whole other level of of creativity when when plating up food. That's Christian. Puglisi. Oh gosh, I didn't get it too badly wrong there. No. And he's doing a two and a half hour demo, which is quite long for a demo. He is. I mean, they're all about two and a half hours long. They're all about two uh, to three hours long. But between people arriving, sitting down, going through the recipes, having little tasters and finishing, it, it is about a two and a half hour demo. That's right. There's a great mix there of meet the author, demos, pop-ups. 
It must be such a joy to spend the year researching, making contact, inviting people. It is. It's, um, it really is. I'm very lucky to have the job I have because it's just so fascinating, interesting. I learn every day. I just learn about people, but I also le- learn about different tricks and tips through reading their books or reading their biographies or finding out about them and just the different characters that come out and all of their different expertise they're fascinating and I'm totally fascinated by this but I don't think that you need to be even a massive food or or drinks lover it's really genuinely an interesting topic from the diversity and the spectrum of what's covered in the guests that we do invite. And Joanna Blythman, who was on the show here last week talking about her book, Swallow This, she's going to be there talking in more detail about it. And that will be a very educational talk, I would imagine. She is. So she's been here for the last two years um, and she's an absolutely outstanding, just the depth of knowledge she has is really, it's just outstanding, really. But this book she has written and published, I can't remember when it was actually published, but it's been within the last, I think, eight months maybe, is it? Um, but this book, Swallow This, that she's just published, I've been reading it, it's on my bedside counter and I read it each evening, I dip in and dip out of it. It's mind-blowing. It's absolutely and utterly blown open the doors to what goes on in food production and large companies. It's like it's a, an it's a credit to her and I think everybody that works in our line of food business and in in just small organic produced on the farm seasonal um genuine food will will everybody that reads this book will just <laughs> praise her so highly for doing what she's done and really sticking her neck out and writing about stuff that really needs to be written about. And somebody else that I had on the show recently that highlighted that she's going to be there this weekend is the lovely Susan Boyle, because you've lots of homegrown talent as well. We must highlight that. Of course, Susan, exactly. I met Susan, well, I didn't actually meet her. I went down to an arts festival in Kinsale and I saw this event was happening and I was like intrigued by the idea of the mixture. I mean, Susan is a very well, well-known um wine enthusiast and she writes a good bit about it and does a lot of different events and is part of our team here for the the weekend in the drinks theatre but I she runs an event called um, a wine goose chase which as far as I understand she's completely and utterly written it herself and she's incorporated the story of the wine geese into a very educational but very entertaining and enjoyable history uh, as well as a tasting combining the two it's theater it's a tasting with theater and history all in one and she does it beautifully and drinks do feature quite prominently on the program as well yeah we have a little bit of everything from beer to rum to gin to whiskey to wine of course natural wines i mean it's a little bit of something for everything and of course we have um Ger Buckley, who's the master cooper at the distiller, distillery here, the Irish distillery in Middleton, he'll be doing a cooperage display, which is a free event, and everybody is always, whether you're a child or whether you're 60 years of age, people seem to be fascinated, and they just it's such an engaging and entertaining um, demonstration on how he puts the barrels together and how he builds them. And that's a free event on the Sunday? That is. That starts at half past five in the drinks theatre and everybody is welcome. It's it's great if people could just register or book it just so we can make sure we have enough room for everybody but it's a free event. So anybody that is interested in going along this weekend, there's lots of different events on. They should go on to your website which is litfest.ie. Book in advance. Some events there's a, a small charge for them. Other events, like the Cooperage one, are free, but they should still register their interest, as you said there, so that there's no disappointment. Tell us quickly before you go, Rebecca, about the Fringe Festival and the Big Shed. OK, so, well, again this year, the we call it the heart of the festival because whether um, you've just gotten up and you need a little bit of a coffee to, t- to kickstart your day or whether you're in between cookery demonstrations or events during the afternoon and need a little slight of 
slice of cake or perhaps something savoury. There is food all day long available from lots of local um, and national food producers, artisan food producers, so it's a place where everybody can get a little bite to eat. But also we have an entire other program of activities that are happening and all of these activities are free. Um, And then things like well, um, on the main stage, we've got a bone broth demonstration by one of the cookery school teachers here at the Ballymaloo Cookery School. They'll be doing a bone broth demonstration, which is really interesting, and it's full of um, health benefits, and that'll all be des- described and explained by, by Debbie. And then for a bit of fun, a bit of banter, Cully and Sully will be on the stage and inviting a few people up. Um, to do a blind tasting, so God knows what's going to happen there. But they'll have they'll have plenty of fun, and it's always very entertaining and fun to have Cully and Sully on the stage together because the banter is is mighty. Um, we also have a fermentation little workshop, both on both days. One with Hans and Gabby from the Organic Centre, and they'll be doing probiotic cocktails, which is a very interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing that myself. And we've asked the chefs, a couple of chefs from the Ballymaloo kitchen, if they wouldn't mind coming down to do little techniques, showing Ballymaloo classic techniques. So it could be making a mayonnaise or it could be something that they do every day in the kitchen in Ballymaloo. It's to show people how to crack a crab properly or, you know, as I said, to make a mayonnaise. And they'll be doing them on both days as well. And then in each evening we'll be having live music. But we also have an amazing new venue this year in the Wall Garden. It's called the Garden Tent. <laughs> Very original. But in there, it's kind of like a soapbox tent. So Joe McNamee, the wonderful Joe McNamee, who is very good and he's very supportive of the festival, he'll be running a rants, raves and banter session. Sorry, a rants, raves and rulabula session. And more about that on the website if you want to have a look. It's intriguing, I'm sure. It's, it'll be a good bit of crack. Um, with people just having a minute to talk about their favourite things in the food world or when they're doing a bit of a a rant, they can talk about the negative things in the food world. And then Jim Carroll will be hosting his banter series in there as well, interviewing a few of our participants, doing his um, wonderful banter, which I went to and have seen in a number of different um, festivals around Ireland. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the Kerrygold Corner, because, you know, we have the Kerrygold, who we're delighted at our title sponsor. They'll have a whole area with butter-based cooking demonstrations by Sophie Morris all day long. And they're doing a butter brunch, disco brunch on Sunday. So that will be great fun from about 12 to 2 o'clock. Everybody is welcome to come down to that and get get involved and hopefully make a little bit of butter with, with a jar and some and some milk and cream. Rebecca, a wonderful weekend is lined up. I can't wait to get down there myself. I look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, the best of luck with the the last few days of planning and a reminder to listeners that the web address is litfest.ie. That's right. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's always lovely to chat to you each year. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. That brings us to the end of tonight's show, which was produced with the help of Laura Forrestal. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests, Sinead Neeland, Helen Lyons, Sid Sheehan and Rebecca Cronin. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show if you missed any of the show tonight. Before I go, I must wish a lovely niece, Rachel Loy in Belfast, a very happy birthday and communion for this weekend. I'm so sorry to be missing your big day, Rachel, but I know you'll have a wonderful time without me and enjoy that delicious biscuit cake I'm sending up to you with lots of love. I didn't make it, so don't worry about that. Next week, Ron Forrestal is set to return with his wine slot. So until then, sláinte and of course, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.